Many people today, many Christian people, who think that they have done all that they can do to solve their problems, have not yet begun to do the things that Jesus Christ required of them. That may sound surprising to you. You may not even believe it. You may protest, now wait a minute. My husband and I have been having problems all these years and I've tried everything. I've done everything. There isn't anything more to do. I even went to a good Christian friend or my pastor and asked if there was anything more. And they said, well, they didn't know of anything. They thought I was doing everything that I could do. I still say, if you're a Christian, if your husband's a Christian, or you're a Christian and your wife's a Christian, you're a Christian and your parents are a Christian, you're a Christian and the other person is a Christian, that there is a way to solve that problem between the two of you. And you say, well, I'd sure like to hear it. Well, that's what we're going to do. Tell you all about it from the Word of God. You know, the answer to that problem does not lie in some kind of mysticism. It doesn't lie in just saying, for example, uh, well, I'll leave it all in God's hands and uh, hope that it works out for the best. After all, all things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Now, those things are all true. And that verse is a wonderful verse. And there are times when we need to rely upon that verse and say, well, there's nothing more that can be done about this situation. But it's not the time to say that when there are two Christians involved in a relationship. The time to say that is when there is an unbeliever and a Christian involved in a relationship. You know, many Christians think they have done all that God requires when, as I say, they have only begun. Well, you say, why don't you get to it and stop all these preliminaries? All right. Part of your problem may be impatience, if that's what you're saying to me, but let's go on anyway. Matthew 18, verse 15, 16, and 17 give to us a very important clue in how to solve problems that don't seem to be get, uh, getting solved any other way. How to solve problems between Christians. And this section is an extremely uh, neglected area and yet extremely valuable portion of the Word of God to understand. It deals with church discipline. You say, church discipline? Yes, church discipline. You say, oh, come on. Church discipline is just the way that you get rid of troublemakers in church. Well, if that's what church discipline has meant to you, or if that's what it's meant to your congregation, or if that's what it's meant in terms of uh, how it's used, wherever you've been, then that is not church discipline as the Bible looks at it. That's church discipline abused, not properly used. Church discipline is not intended to get rid of anybody. At every point in the disciplinary process as Christ outlined it, the whole concern is to get reconciliation, not to get rid of anybody, but to produce reconciliation between persons who are not at peace with one another. Now let's look at that passage a little more clearly. There are three steps in church discipline. You're having problems with another Christian? All right, here's what has to be done. First, verse 15 says, if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. 
If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Now that first step I want to talk about for just a few moments because sometimes we take it, but very rarely do we do so. And most of the problems that we would have with others that go on and on and on for weeks or years even could be solved if we just simply did what this first step says to do. If he sins against you, you're to go and tell him about it. You're to go and reprove him. You're to go and bring the facts and the data and to face him up with the problem, simply, plainly, and straightforwardly. Now, it doesn't say go in the spirit of nastiness. It doesn't say go in order to tell the other guy off. It says to tell him about the problem. Many times, problems don't get resolved because we just simply don't tell the other person about them. He doesn't even know that we've taken offense. He doesn't even know that he stepped on our toes. Maybe he thought he was walking over a garden hose or something. And so he doesn't come to us. No reconciliation takes place. We stand there folding our arms saying, well, let him come to me, whereas he doesn't even know that you're on the outs with him. It's the obligation of the offended party as well as the obligation of the offender if he knows that he's offended another, but it's the obligation of the offended party to go to the one who has offended him. That's the first thing we need to see in verse 15. Go and reprove him, but notice, in private. You don't go to the church, you don't go to all of your friends, you don't go to your neighbors, you don't go to his enemies and talk about him behind his back. You go and you talk to him. You keep the, the uh, reconciliation and the attempt for it as private as the offense itself was in the first place. And the purpose for which you go is mentioned in the last part of the verse. You want him to listen to you. You want him to acknowledge his sin. You want him to recognize where he has wronged you or to straighten it out if you think he has wronged you and he hasn't really. But you want him to hear what you have to say so that the two of you become reconciled once again. It says, if he listens to you, you have won your brother. That's what you want. It's not to get rid of somebody, but the first step of church discipline, an informal step that any individual in the church may take with any other individual, has one main goal and purpose to it, and that is to win one's brother. But you said that I could do this with my husband or with my wife or with my parents or with my children. Yes, I did. Any Christian brother, any Christian sister with whom you are unable to work out affairs in any other way, you may go and you may talk to that person about what is wrong. If things continue to stay between the two of you, they get lodged between the two of you, they separate the two of you, there's no peace between the two of you, you need to straighten those matters out by first going to that other person but I'm supposed to be subject to my husband, or I'm supposed to be subject to my parents. I can't go and reprove them, can I? Of course you can. Subjection and reproof are two entirely separate and different matters. Reproof, as this passage looks at it, is in no way contradictory with the question of subjection. Subjection has to do not only with what you do, but how you do it. And if you go in a submissive manner, in the proper recognition of your relationship to that parent as a child, or your relationship as a wife to your husband who bears the authority of God, you may reprove him. Remember, Nathan reproved David. Uh, he was able to reprove the king with all of the authority that had been given to him as king. Nevertheless, he reproved him in his sin. Authority 
is not limitless. Authority in the Bible is limited by the Bible itself. And so, what you want to do is to go in a right and submissive spirit, one that recognizes your proper relationship to the other, one that really is seeking to win the brother back, one that is seeking reconciliation. And if you go in that matter, you can speak about anything that's wrong between the two of you. And God may straighten it out right on that very level itself. In our next broadcast, we're going to talk about the other two steps of church discipline. So tune in and hear the rest of this message then. Lord, help some who are in trouble to recognize the need to go immediately to get those matters straightened out between them. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen.